Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Lecture 3. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. It's continuity. It is good to see all of you this morning. Okay, so we're doing, uh, if you missed last week, which uh, basically I started something new. It's not new, but I posed a question, and it's going to be a pretty awesome question moving forward. Uh, I guess I'll do this in a good 30 minutes or something, and we can open up for questions. But it's got to be taught because it's pretty complex. So the question I posed last week, and it's the, the series in which we're starting. I have no name for it yet. It's something, um, uh, we'll work that out. We'll work the name out. It's probably going to be over 20 weeks, and it's a big, it's a big subject. So the question was, 
What is the message of the gospel? If the New Testament, uh, or what is the message of the New Testament? If the New Testament only contained Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Deep question, right? Think about what we're asking. What is the message of the New Testament? If the New Testament only contained Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, let me say this first and foremost. We're Protestants. And so since we are Protestant, most of your teachings will be on the roots and the heels of the Apostle Paul. Does that make sense? If you have a pastor worth his salt, for sure this pastor will teach to you mostly from the letters of Paul. Why? Because they are pastoral letters. They are letters in which you... Uh, govern someone's behavior, govern the church's structure, govern the church's organization, all these things. So when Paul is, is discussing things, he is discussing them in a manner of allow me to enlighten you or correct you with the gospel. That's what we miss. We, 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 we love to miss the fact that when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 chapter, listen, take care of your body. Don't, don't be about sexual immorality. Don't, don't misuse your temple. He's saying that because look at what God has done for you with the cross. Right? Paul has a level of continuity that, a, that an average Christian does not happen or happen to have today. Please know that um, we will dive into this and, and, and I'll, I'll explain what we did last week. And so it's going to get deep. It's, you're going to have questions. And of course, it's going to be completely biblical. Um, I love to fuse right, science and all this stuff, but this is completely biblical. This is, there, there isn't much, uh, um, not much room for such a thing because we're posing the question. This is a thesis. The thesis is, what is the message of the New Testament? If it only contained Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, immediately you must throw out justification by faith. You have to. You have no choice. You have, to, you have no choice but to throw out justification by faith because only one time in the New Testament, excuse me, only one time in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, is the word justified ever used by Jesus Christ. And it's in the parable with the tax collector and the Pharisee and the, and, and, and at the temple. And one is going, God, aren't you so glad you made me? That's basically what he said. He said, I pay my tithes. I, I do these things. I do all these things. Look at me. I'm so awesome while the publican but while the tax collector doesn't even look up to the heavens and he says lord have mercy on me and your text more more than like it says a sinner if you look at it in greek there's actually a definite article in front of that so it's, he literally says the sinner he said listen i'm not just a sinner i am the sinner of all sinners lord have mercy on me and then jesus says only one goes away from the temple justified. It's the only time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John is justification, just justified whatsoever is ever used. So immediately you have to throw out justification by faith. Right? And so let me preface to you, at no point does Paul say anything different than Jesus Christ. At no point 
does Paul's letters have any contradiction with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? What I am delivering to us is we have messed up <laughs> what Paul is saying. Every single thing that Paul has done, will do, is he's doing it through the lens of the gospel. But keep in mind, I need you to understand this here. Paul begins his missionary journeys at about 32 AD. Uh, He takes some time off to get close with God, and then he starts writing. And so Ephesus is, excuse me, Ephesians is written about 51, 60 AD, depending on which scholar you're asking and all these things. So Paul is writing well before the Gospels. What we do as Christians in the 21st century, we read the gospel through the lens of Paul. What we do is we take Paul and then we read into the gospels what Paul has said. But I need you to keep in mind two things. Paul wrote before the gospels, number one, and then it was it was absolutely the age of the day to be in Matthew's community. And only have Matthew's gospel. Don't don't let Google, uh, Microsoft Word, the Internet, don't let these things uh, bamboozle you into thinking that everyone was literate in the first century, for number one. Number two, there was no Pony Express, no Telegram. So you can have one gospel, Matthew, and the whole community would only have Matthew's gospel. And so you would never know that Mark and Matthew would differ upon the, um, the view of marriage. When one says, absolutely no way you can get divorced. Well, then one says, well, if it's infidelity. So if you were in one community, you may have been thinking a few things on different issues. However, here's what we need to discover. What's the message of the New Testament? If we completely take away everything of Revelation, right? Because understand. Revelation is written about 90 A.D. What happens if you were born in 32 A.D. and die in 60 A.D. at 30 years old, which was not uncommon? You would never in your life have read the Gospels or Revelation. Does that make sense? Okay. So Paul immediately goes to you in 1 Corinthians Um, And then, you know, he immediately tells you what the gospel is. Paul says that the gospel is the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we stop there normally, but Paul adds something else. He puts a comma there, and then he says, according to scriptures. This is important because we're going to spend the next 19 weeks, 20 in total, arguing what the gospel is biblically. Right? This this is what we're going to do. I mean, this is what the Lord has put on my heart. So Paul, before there was a gospel, before there was Matthew, before there was Mark, before there was Luke, before there was John, Paul was preaching the gospel. Don't miss this here because I have to say this here because we've got a lot of things confused. Paul was already saying there was a gospel before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written. So what is such a gospel? And we're going to use, not Paul, but we're going to use the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to say what the gospel is. Paul says it up front. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, but here's the catch, comma, according to scriptures. Why is this important? It is important because Jesus had to be of Hebrew descent. Why? 
because the scriptures said he had to be of Hebrew descent. He was going to be of the line of Abraham, of the line of David. He, had, he could not be Greek because according to scriptures, God's narrative was refined and defined according to his word. And so Jesus had no choice but to be of Hebrew descent, of the line of Abraham, and of the house of David, the son of Jesse. Is this starting to make sense now? Okay. And so, what is the message of the New Testament if it only contains Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? It cannot be justification by faith. It can't, because that's, 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 that's Paul, right? That's later on in your natural order or canonical order of your New Testament, right? The way, you're, the way you've memorized your New Testament. That's, that's later on. It can't be anything James says. It can't be revelation. It, so, so what is it? is it? Is it salvation? Is that the point of the New Testament? It's a G, okay, clearly it's Jesus, right? It's a great answer. It is definitely Jesus. And we're about to go to Jesus according to what Matthew writes about him. So Matthew 4, 1 through 11 is what we're about to cover. However, think about it for a second. Clearly it's Jesus, and we proved that last week. So the first week we talked about, and I went, I went, I, I'm going out of order on purpose. We did Matthew chapter 6 last week. And we proved that the gospel, at least in one respect, is, at least one lens of it, is don't worry about how you're going to survive or all these things. Worry about nothing and just know, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And all these things will be added unto you. So clearly that's, that's definitely the gospel. But now we have to define or discover well, what's this kingdom of heaven. Like This is the hard part, right? What are we seeking? We know to seek the kingdom of heaven. But what is this kingdom of heaven? Now it gets a bit more difficult, a bit more muddy. And so we can't go. Oh, we can't, I guess we can. We, we have the benefit of living in the 21st century. So we have all 66 books of the Bible. And before um, the Protestant Reformation, there were more than 66 books of the Bible, what you call the Deuterocanonicals, the second um, uh, standard, the second writings. And so you have those in there. So we, we have hindsight of knowing that Thomas should not have done what he did because we don't live when Thomas was living. But it's not too weird for Thomas to, to, to say, well, I don't believe that somebody rose from the dead. I mean, it's just crazy, right? It's, it's not that hard because if I told you right now that I'm going to destroy this temple in three days and I will rise again, all of you would kick me out this church. Right? It's, it's not that hard to, to disagree with such a bold statement, but then again, I am not the son of God and I don't have the power to resurrect. So what is the point or the testament or the worth of the New Testament. What is it? Any? Jesus is one, right? But what's the message? Is the message Jesus? Is, is that, like, can we just say Jesus? God, I'm glad you said that. It definitely connects the Old Testament. High five for Pastor Temple. That is the number one thing that I hate when people do. I love continuity between the Old and the New Testament. Now, I understand and respect the discontinuity as well, because it's definitely there. And because of the discontinuity between the Old and the New Testament, God was able to create this gray area and save some folk who don't deserve to be saved like me, right? Because I'm not of the line of Abraham. But due to the fact that there's this discontinuity, I can confess in Jesus Christ and become the line of Abraham, but I'm not physically 
of the DNA descent or the lineage of Abraham. I am not Hebrew. I am not Jewish by no means. I am an African American. I have no idea which tribe or whatever in the country of Africa, but what I do know for sure is I am not Paul's son. Does that make sense? So there's definitely this continuity, and I'm glad. So definitely, and here's the deal. Matthew 4, which we're getting ready to cover, is exactly the point of what I wanted to cover today. Continuity is now the next part of this, what's the point of the New Testament. So we'll continue to argue. But let's go to Matthew 4, because he hit the nail on the head. In fact, it was so awesome. First off, I had to go to school to learn that. Secondly, flesh and blood did not reveal that answer to him, but my father up in heaven, because that's exactly where I wanted to go today. So Matthew chapter 4, very familiar scripture, verses 1 through 11. Now, we preach many of things about this passage, and all of these things would be very correct to preach. And I have the King James Bible in my hand. All these things would be very correct to preach. Um, it, obviously, this is when Jesus is... Um, in the wilderness, right? Jesus is in the wilderness. So we, so we definitely, he's hungry, the devil comes tempt him. There's many things you can talk about in this particular, many things you can talk about in this passage. Let's deal with the gospel respect of this passage. Watch how Jesus holds in continuity his role and fights the devil with his word. Okay, so let's check it out. Um, I'm assuming everybody here has King James. So then, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for the devil. Let's just stop right there real quick because this is just a sidebar or what you say parenthetically, but it's important. Notice that it is deep. Well, actually, let's do it this way. Let's read Matthew 4 verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Everybody caught that? Okay, let's go to Luke chapter 4 verse 1, but keep Matthew 4 open. Keep Matthew 4 open. I actually have Luke chapter 4 memorized. It's one of my memory verses. But let's, let's look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Very important to catch. The Holy Spirit is so discerning that it would never put anything in the Bible by accident. If, it, if it's there, it wants you to slow down and, and check it. Check this out. Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay, there's so much going on right there. I have to. Okay, so Pastor Temple said, well, first, Jaretta, you said Jesus. Okay, absolutely. Because what is Jesus? You guys said all the time he's the word, right? Okay, and, and so digging deeper in that, Jesus is not just, he's obviously the word, which you're saying, the anointed one, all the same thing. He's also the king. That's his the Christ actually means the king. The anointed one is the Messiah, which is king in Hebrew. All these things are king. So look at all the things happening here that has everything to do with continuity and that a first century Jew would understand, but we miss in the 21st century. Watch how the message of the gospel is being spread across. Back to Luke, I mean, back to Matthew 4 and 1. Then, keep both of them open. Then Jesus was led of the spirit. Got it? Into the wilderness. There's no mention of the Jordan, correct? Anybody see? No mention of the Jordan. However, Luke, um, he starts off his um, text, all things considering, I've done all the research, O Theophilus, that all these things are accurate and according. So watch what Luke says. Luke says, 
and Jesus being full of, not just the spirit now, well, King James says Holy Ghost, but now, but he, he got this, this, this agias um, penuma. He's, he's purposely letting you know that this is not just a spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, right? But, but watch it. It says, returning from the Jordan led into the wilderness. There is this, okay, let's trace the steps. This is what a first century Jew would catch. Let's trace the steps of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel start off in Ur, Uz, depending on your Bible translation. And, but it doesn't start off as a nation. It starts off as one man. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Death start at Jacob. We got Abraham at the beginning, and Jacob is going to start the whole nation of Israel. So that's my fault because he's absolutely correct, right? But Abraham is going to move from not the promised land into the promised land. Okay, catch my words. He's going to move not from Ur, not the promised land, and God's going to say, get up and go to a place. And I'm going to show you, and that place is Canaan. Right? That, that's, this is biblical evidence. This is, this is Jesus. Excuse me. This is God saying, go to this place, to the promised land. So let's trace these steps. Abraham goes from not the promised land to the promised land. But Abraham, God tells Abraham, but leave your kindred. They, something about them is holding you back. Is that fair? Amen. Is that I need to separate you from where you currently are to take you to where I promised you. Is, is that fair? Like, that's totally biblical. Okay, so, so check it out. Abraham is saying, God is telling Abraham, I need to separate you from your current geographical location because it's not where I want you to be, and it's not conducive for your growth, and I need to take you to the place I promised you. Okay, now, now then they go from not the promised land to the promised land, and then Egypt. And then from Egypt, and then they wander into the wilderness. Is that fair? This is, this is the traces of the steps. Skipping a bunch, but it's not skipping a bunch, right? This is the major movements of the steps. Into the wilderness, and then they cross the Jordan River, and then they go into the promised land. Does that make sense? Okay. Let me tell you what Matthew's, let me tell you what Matthew's doing. Matthew is saying, well, we, we understand that there was Moses, and he was great. But the Lord sent another Moses who did what Moses could do, but a whole lot better. One spoke the word of God directly from God. This other one spoke the word of God directly from God, but did it a whole lot better. Does that make sense? Right? So one said, don't kill. The other one says, even if you're killing your head, you still kill. Okay, 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 right. So I'm I'm excited because I really love, you know what I'm saying, digging inside the the word of God. So, so, So here's the deal. It's something in scholars call recapitulation with a T, recapitulation. It means to retrace what has already been done. Let's go over the steps again of Abraham and Jacob and the nation of Israel. They start not in the promised land because where they currently were was holding them back. Now they have to go into the promised land. Then they go into slavery in Egypt and then they go into the wilderness and then they cross the Jordan and then they go into the promised land, right? Okay. So Matthew's saying, listen, this continuity thing going on. Jesus does the same thing. But he, it's not a physical exodus. It's not a spiritual exodus. Now, watch, now, now, there's a reason why Jesus, so what is the exodus? To take out from. Okay, so in this case, the physical exodus was come out of slavery. Jesus does this spiritual exodus to come out of our sinful slavery. Right? This is completely biblical. There's nothing liberal about this. It's completely textual. And so, check it out. Jesus 
starts not in the, the he, he starts in the promised land, then he has to go flee where? Amen. He has to flee to Egypt. Okay, has, Joseph has a dream. Joseph of the New Testament has a dream. Go to Egypt. Okay, does this start to make sense? So he goes to Egypt. He's having this wonderful, super duper time in Egypt. And then he comes back to the place. And before Jesus' ministry begins, the Lord has him baptized where, according to Luke chapter 4? In the Jordan. Why the Jordan? Right? Continuity, what Pastor Temple was talking about. It has to be, it ha- the point of the gospel is not, God didn't come and set anew. We, we, we like to say that, but it's a half story. It's half the truth. He, he didn't start over. He continued what he was already doing. Okay. Lord have mercy. Okay, here's, God didn't, that, that's not what's actually preached today. I mean, this church preaches it, and thank God. Uh, my church preaches it, thank God. But it's, we're a New Testament church, right? We don't have anything to do with the Old Testament. You've heard that before? Uh, I don't have to do this. Well, we live under grace. We don't live under the law as if the law was abolished. When Jesus himself says, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill it, right? And so the law of, if you read that text, it's capital L law, capital P, prophets. And that's frequently how the Hebrews would refer to the entire Old Testament. The law and the prophets, right? Like we would say the Old Testament and the New Testament. So Jesus himself says, look, I didn't come to abolish this thing. I came to fulfill it. And so what's the point of the gospel? Because if you can get all the stuff that we got, you can get it from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can get it with a better intimacy, and you can get it from Jesus' mouth himself. We love the red letters in our Bibles because it's Jesus talking. So let's see what Jesus is doing. So here you have it. Jesus Christ is retracing the steps of Israel. Okay, check it out. Israel starts in Exodus in slavery. Pretty much. They're not even a nation. You can't have a nation without a leader, period. And they're not appointing a leader until the second 40 years, until Moses' life is split into 120 years, three, three wonderful sections for us, first 40, and that wonderful palace, second 40 in the wilderness, the next 40 uh, in the wilderness all by itself, the next 40 in the wilderness with everybody else, right? It's a wonderful split that we have. And so you can't be a nation without a leader, period, point blank. This is never going to change, not in today's world, not in another day. They don't become a nation until they're in slavery and the Lord sends them a leader. And so while they're a nation, they start in slavery and they cross some water and they go right to the wilderness. Let's look at Matthew chapter four and let's look at Luke chapter four. Jesus starts in the Jordan. Why the Jordan? Because it was where God said, Moses, my servant is dead. Joshua, get up. I need for you to get up. You've mourned. I understand it. Get up. Now cross the Jordan to the land in which I promise you sound eerily similar to what he told Abraham. He said, Abraham, listen, get up from where you are because I have a place for you for where I need for you to be. And so now it's this, 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 this wonderful recapitulation happening through Matthew. What Matthew, all of them are going to say it, but, but they, you need all of them. You kind of got to do a little gospel gumbo, put all the gospels together, make a little pot. You know, you know, gumbo's real good. Well, if you're in the south, gumbo's real good. I don't know what they do in the north. But, but, but here's the deal. So Jesus starts in Egypt, right? Joseph has a dream, goes to Egypt, comes back. And before Jesus ever does anything, in fact, John records it very well because Jesus had not been baptized yet in John chapter 2. And John tells his mother, excuse me, Jesus tells his mother, according to the gospel of John, woman, it ain't my time yet. I have not yet started what I was supposed to start. And then according to John chapter 3, in the Jordan is when Jesus' ministry has begun. Why? Because that was, why does Jesus call himself son of man? 
Uh, he never calls himself son of God. We call him son of God. Roman centurions call him son of God. Everybody else calls him son of God. Jesus says son of man. If you look at Daniel chapter 7 or 11, I don't think it is 11. Daniel chapter 7, you look at Daniel, I saw the son of man coming from a cloud. This son of man is this, this, it becomes this embodiment of Israel itself. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? Here's one great theory that's completely textual. Jesus has no sin. We know that for sure. So John does not wipe away his sins. What John does is washes away the sins of Israel because son of man means Israel. And since Jesus completely retraces the steps of Israel, when he's dumped in the water, the nation of Israel is dumped in the water. And now, bringing us back to Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, Jesus crosses out of the Jordan and goes into the wilderness. What do they do? They cross the Dead Sea and they go into the wilderness, right? But Red, is it Red Sea? I think I said Dead Sea. I got too many seas in my head, right? But you understand what I'm saying. Actually, they cross it, they go into the wilderness, and then they sit at the feet of God for 40 years. Now, it wasn't always the purpose, but that is what happens. And so Jesus sits at the feet of God for 40 days. In those 40 years, the devil shows up mighty fine in a whole lot of times, doesn't he? In those 40 days, the devil shows up. Now, watch this wonderful continuity in which Jesus gets us to understand in Matthew 4 through 11. Here it is. The devil quotes some scriptures. But before we get to the scriptures that he totally quotes and mis misinterprets or he leans to his own understanding, notice that both Matthew and Luke says Jesus, full of the Spirit, is led by the Spirit. And to, don't you ever let nobody tell you that because you're going through hell, you're not in the will of God. Jesus is not led in the wilderness because of his own will. He's not led into the wilderness because his ego. He's not led into the wilderness because Sunday night football is not on. He's led into the wilderness because the spirit leads him into the... Sometimes God will lead your steps into trouble. It's just going to happen. You have to be Jesus enough to know that if he led you into trouble, he'll lead you through the trouble. Amen. Amen. Right? So... Sometimes God will send you to the wilderness because catches what happens after the wilderness. Then Jesus goes back to his hometown and he says, listen, by the way, the one you've been looking for, back, back to Luke again, the gospel gumbo, is the one you've been looking at. Right? He rolls up, the, uh, he goes to Isaiah, um, <clears throat> he attends, gets to the scroll of the synagogue as was his custom and he rolls the scroll to Isaiah chapter 61 and says, I come to bring captives to the blind, me sight to the blind, all these things. He said, and today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing or basically the one you've been looking for is the one you're looking at, right? And so he says, bam, I am the king. Amen. And they get upset at his statement and they try to run him off a cliff. But notice these wonderful steps I and mean, I think they're going to help us and we're getting ready to end. They're going to help us along our journey. In order for the Lord to use you, he's got to get in you, right? Amen. Jesus being full of the Spirit, full of the by the Spirit, right? But then, in order for him to use you, he's got to weaken you. Amen. This is completely textual, I promise you, right? right? Completely, right? He, he sends Jesus into a situation meant to weaken him because God can't use an arrogant servant. Lord have mercy, right? And so th th there's this wonderful tension between God having to beat us down so we can properly be used with great perspective. Mm 
Right. Amen. Right. <laughs> yeah. Suffer. Yeah. With jail. Yeah. Exactly. And then this continuity comes in to where every single thing that the devil quotes is from the Old Testament. And every single thing Jesus quotes is from the Old Testament. And Jesus effectively brings in the Old Testament and he's creating the New Testament. But he's using the Old Testament to fight and resist the devil. Amen. But notice he's not resisting the devil by, come here, you, come here, don't, don't do this anymore. He's, no, the, the word says, right? Amen. And so there's, <laughs> there's a proper way. We're not supposed to fight the devil. Um, uh, it, it probably doesn't make sense for me. I've used this analogy before. It, it probably does, it doesn't make sense. In fact, you had a wonderful conversation with me last week. This doesn't make sense for me to do some stuff that I know is going to tempt me. Like, I just, I'm not starting ministries in my weakness. Like, I, I'm not going to, I don't know, what I, what I said last. I'm not going to brothels saying, hey, get the work done. That's just not my ministry. Right? I'm just not strong enough. For such a thing, so I stay away from such a thing. And so notice that Jesus is connecting the nation of Israel and the, their entire narrative with what is now the gospel. Every single thing that we're calling the gospel, God is showing through these writers that it's every single thing that happened before is what's now currently making the gospel. Jesus' messianic title itself, the Messiah, son, Lord, son of David, son of man. All these Old Testament references are, are Jesus saying, listen, don't skip the fact that I've come here now because there was. <laughs> that made me feel good. That was by accident. Right. But, you know, it, it, you have to do that. And so lastly, notice that in Mark, excuse me, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, and we covered a lot of scriptures. The last temptation that we speak of, the devil totally gets it backwards and he, he, he takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. He, what a really silly thing to do to a child of God. To tempt them, but to bring them to where they get their strength. <laughs> and so all these things, from the temple reference, from the recapitulation to the Old Testament, every single, none of these, if you just, if you skip all, everything else, right now, there's two things we discovered, that seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, I mean, right, kingdom of God, now these things, don't worry, just seek God, number one. Number two is, every single thing that Jesus has done, he's doing according to the scriptures that were already written. This is important. Because in order for you to ever have a gospel, you've had to have the story of the Old Testament. It's in order for you to have the salvation in the New Testament, God had already created such salvation in the Old Testament. This is absolutely biblically accurate. He already gave the law, which you, you great at saying that this law was, he, he already gave this law. But, but here's the thing in, in the most respectable way possible it doesn't matter if you or you or myself do right by God God's still going to have his will be done he tells you I make rocks cry in my name basically salvation becomes something that God has already orchestrated through the according to death burial resurrection 
of Jesus Christ, comma, according to scriptures. God has already set it in place. And whether you get on your, off your high horse or I get off mine, God will have his way. And in the manner of him having his way, our job is to accept his will. All won't, all won't keep. But our job is to respect the fact that what he's already done has led us to the salvation that we currently Amen. receive. Amen. That's it. Oh, yeah, we got, I think she had a question. I just want to uh, make a comment. Sure, sure, go ahead. answer to the, the question mm -hmm. about the, uh, the message of the gospel, I think you have to have an understanding mm -hmm. of the Old Testament Amen. in order to have an appreciation of the New Testament. Amen. And what it reminds me of, um, just a worldly analogy of what it reminds me of, is um, when I first started teaching, we would disaggregate data. Our kids would take a test, and the principal would make us hand score each test, then hand figure averages based on this, based on every category. And there was a software that could do the same thing in a fraction of the time and a fraction of the effort. But he made us do it by hand. Well, having going through that process by hand and understanding how difficult and tedious yeah, it was that sounds really like made it. us have an appreciation for the software. Amen. Had I not gone through the hand, then I would have probably taken the yeah. software for granted or wouldn't have had a much yeah. appreciation of the work that it was doing. Yeah. And so my point is that the Old Testament with all its laws and all of its rules and all of its sacrificial rituals and all of that there really wasn't a human that could accomplish it no sir there wasn't mm -mm. okay there's no human that was able to uh, live a spotless mm -hmm. life and so because of that the sacrificial lambs that they had to do year by year and the work that they had to do to remain clean so mm -hmm. to speak in the eyes of God was really a hard, tedious, time-consuming process. Amen. And so then comes Jesus, and Jesus does it. He fulfills it. And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So That's that right. simplifies things Absolutely. for us. That says, hey, you don't have to go yearly to the temple to offer a sacrifice and go through all of these things. that they he do. was the lamb. Just, just accept me. And so, without an understanding of everything they did in the Old Testament, we don't have an appreciation for the fact that now we can come boldly to the throne of That's grace right. without having to go through all those That's ritualistic right. things that they had to do That's in the right. Old Testament. That's right. That's right. Every single thing that will happen, you can come on up, Pastor Simple. Every single thing that will happen, it has happened because God used his work through the story, the whole story of the nation of Israel. When the pandemic began, I had the biggest problem in the world, not making money. The pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as it almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people. And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training. And I could not find a single person for two years. 
to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions, $22 an hour, paid training, and I couldn't find someone, not one person, for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True, but it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter, and that's a fact. I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture. And there are so many different things that you can do this summer. As a matter of fact, you can free up as much time as you want to. But if you're not using ZipRecruiter, you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people. So what is ZipRecruiter? What is probably the greatest job finder that's out there. And that's why you need ZipRecruiter. You need it so you can find the right candidates. Now, it's not that ZipRecruiter helps you find jobs. It's more accurately that ZipRecruiter takes your culture, takes your job, takes what you're looking for, and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate. And if the if it's if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out, uh, review, and rate candidates. Four out of five employees uh, have been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter. It is a blessing. And no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people to sit in the right seat on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about? Well, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. All spelled the regular way. That's Zip, Z-I-P, Recruiter, R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. And I promise you, you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.